I'm like, yeah, there's reasons to be grumpy. Like, it's not unjustified to have angst in this life. Because if all we do is live life under the sun, without God, completely self-focused, yeah, you have a million reasons to feel unfulfilled. You're not getting any prettier or more handsome. With each and every day, there's more reasons for your finances to diminish The rush of first love, driving off the lot in your new car, graduating with a degree, you can vividly recall the intense excitement you felt in those moments. But where is that excitement now? You see, emotion is fleeting, and today we'll hear of the folly in seeking fulfillment outside of Jesus. Something changes in you when you're walking with Him, when that emptiness has been filled. Now, let's join Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, verse 1, for part one of his message entitled, Four Keys to a Better Life. The Bible is the most dangerous book you will ever read. I'm not kidding. It's the most dangerous book you'll ever read. And the reason I say that is because when you open the Bible... And you actually read what's contained within it. It is so personal that it's scary. When you allow your heart and your mind to sit there and spend time with it, you find yourself on those pages. All of us do, no matter what our background, no matter what our nationality, no matter the circumstances of our life, the Bible is so radically personal that it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And even though the Bible was penned thousands of years ago in a different culture, the situations and circumstances that are are part of the human condition have always been the same. Today, what we're going to find in the book of Ecclesiastes is jarring in how personal it is for us. Because we're going to begin today looking at how unfulfilling life can be. That's been a running theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? That repeated phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That means meaningless, absurdity. When I think about times of unfulfillment in my own life, one of the most stark examples for me was, you know, growing up and deciding that I wanted to pursue music as a career. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I love playing music. And I remember graduating college and having studied and spent, you know, most of my time in college practicing the bass and then going to class. It's like class was the 
reason that I could practice my bass because I had everything dialed in and, and I would practice for hours and hours every single day. And I remember after I graduated, I immediately started to pursue music. And I remember I was living in Southern Oregon at the time. We were playing in a, in a jazz combo. We used to play at this place in downtown Ashland, Oregon called Alex's. It's right on the plaza there. And every Thursday night we'd go there and we'd play three hours of jazz for like 50 bucks a person. That's jazz economics for you all. But it was fun, you know. And I remember one night we'd play these three-hour gigs. We'd have a weekly Thursday night gig. And I remember we'd just have a blast. And I'll never forget this. One night we're sitting there. We're just finishing out our third set. So, you know, we're, we're past two and a half hours of music. And all of a sudden we look up and there's these two men who are standing there with a friend of ours. And they're holding what we know to be cases with horns in them, a saxophone and a trumpet. And I remember being like, there's some horn players here. After the, that gig was over, we went and we went and said, hey, what, hey, who are you guys? And this gal who we knew said, hey, I met these guys on the airplane. They're, they flew in because they're playing in the Brit Festival with Wynton Marsalis's big band. Now, if you know jazz, Wynton Marsalis might be the most well-known jazz musician in America. And his big band is the premier big band. And we get in, introduced to these two guys who we knew because we would listen to their albums they're like, hey, you guys sound great. You guys want to play a little bit. And we just played for three hours. We're like, yep, we do want to play. And we played for about two more hours with these guys, a trumpeter and a saxophone player, and it was totally cool. And after it was all over, these guys said, hey, listen, why don't you come to our show tomorrow? We'll put you on the guest list. You can meet Winton. You can meet the band. So cool. We go to the show the next day, VIP passes, like these, you know, three young dudes. It's like, whoa. And we get there and all the guys are like, hey, those are the guys we played with last night. Hey, where can we jam tonight? Ooh. So we called up our friends at Alex's. We're like, hey, the guys from Wynton Marsalis' big band want to come. Can we, can we play there tonight? And like, yeah, we don't have anything on the calendar. So we called all our friends. Get to Alex's tonight. And we showed up with 10 of the members of Wynton Marsalis' big band. Totally cool. In this little restaurant. And when we showed up, there was already like wall-to-wall people. We brought in all our gear. We started playing. We weren't playing jazz now. We were playing like old-school funk. We were playing like James Brown, Parliament, some Doobie Brothers, like all that stuff. And people were literally like dancing on the tables. And it's like, I'm playing with guys whose albums I would listen to and transcribe what they were doing. And, you know, and it was fun because there was like all these horn players and they're like playing solos in the middle of the club. And it was just like, it was like those, one of those epic apex moments. See, I'm playing with my heroes. And I'll never forget after it was all over, about three o'clock in the morning, I sat down on my amplifier, totally exhausted. And then I, the thought happened like, well, now what? Like, everything that I had been trying to accomplish, now it's there. And we had it on video. You know what I mean? But it's like, now what? You all have those now what experiences, right? There's something about a pursuit, even a good pursuit, that when you go to attain it and then you get there, all of a sudden you're like, this actually isn't as fulfilling as I hoped it would be. For so many of us, that moment that we realize that something we've been striving for actually does not fulfill the deepest longings of our soul. And you know what happens when that happens? Things get frustrating. And we've all had that experience in different ways. Some of us in relationships, in job pursuits, in hobbies. 
all different ways where you, you're grasping for something and then you get it and you're like, oh, darn. This doesn't fulfill the deepest longings of my soul. And that's a universal attribute of our lives. That's why the Bible is dangerous. Because today we're going to not only see how life can be unfulfilling, but we're also going to get four keys to a better life. Four keys to a better life. So open up in your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And in a lot of ways, Ecclesiastes 6 begins, begins where chapter 5 ended. It's a continuation of the thought. Because look at what happens. In verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, it says, Therein is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity. And it is an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun, or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wanderings of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Whatever one is, he has been named already. For it is known that he is man and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man better? For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? See, this whole chapter that I read, it speaks to us that life is unfulfilling. And it begins by looking at the enjoyment of wealth. That's where it begins. He's saying, what if a man has everything but is unsatisfied? What happens if a person acquires riches and wealth and honor, but never has the chance to enjoy it? He goes on to say, I mean, it's, it's hard to even read. He's like, in verse 3, if a man begets a hundred children and lives many years. Now you have to realize that in Jewish culture, Long life and many children were a sign of God's blessing. So he says, if a man lives many years and has many children but doesn't see goodness, it'd be better if he was a stillborn. Now, it's almost when you read that from your Bible, you're almost, it's almost shocking. You're like, I mean, seriously? But this reality of feeling unfulfilled by life by saying, man, maybe... 
not being born is actually better than having to deal with this. Our culture embodies this reality. It really does. Because we live in a culture that is living proof that a lot of things don't satisfy. That wealth, long life, things that are actually quite normal in American culture, but there's a way to acquire all these things and yet still feel completely unfulfilled with your life, completely unsettled. And we see it in big pictures sometimes in our news with people who have attained to some level of popularity for some reason, but we all feel that struggle in our hearts, that life is unfulfilling in some ways. That when you look under the sun and you look at what is going on, you say to yourself, my goodness, I mean, is this all that there is? Is this all that life is really about? See, because life can be unfulfilling, because when we consume our wealth on ourselves and we're just never satisfied, I mean, you notice how that chapter progresses. You have family, you have wealth, you have honor, you have many years. But then you get to this point, like in verse 7, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. See, what that means is that everything that we attain is for ourselves, but yet deep, deep, deep down, no matter how much we consume, we're not satisfied. Can we all just agree that that's a part of life? It's a tension of life. And I know that you feel it because I feel it too. You get the thing that you want only to find that it's not enough. It's not good. I'm not satisfied. You know, and then it's interesting that the writer to the Ecclesiastes, as he continues, he allows the tension to build because he starts talking about what, for what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have He starts saying, listen, no matter if you're wise or foolish, no matter if you're rich or poor, everyone feels the same thing. The only difference is is the circumstances through which they get to the fact that life is unfulfilling. Now, I thought for a while about just doing chapter 6 on its own. Just like, and like literally unpacking all these pieces. But this whole chapter points us to the tension that life is unfulfilling. But one of the things I love about the Bible, what I love about God is he doesn't just leave you with the problem. He actually helps you with the solution as well. So what I want to do now is we're going to move into chapter seven. And what you're going to find as we move into chapter seven is that the theme of chapter seven is that things should be better. That yes, One approach to life is unfulfillment, but there is a better way. There is a more excellent way. There is more than just unfulfillment, life stinks, I have a reason to be grumpy, all this stuff. Because, listen, when people come, they say, man, I just feel so grumpy. I'm like, yeah, there's reasons to be grumpy. Like, it's not unjustified to have angst in this life. Because if all we do is live life under the sun, without God, completely self-focused, yeah, you have a million reasons to feel unfulfilled. You're not getting any prettier or more handsome. 
With each and every day, there's more reasons for your finances to diminish. It's all breaking down. It's funny, you know. You are your cutest before you even can take care of yourself. And it's all downhill from there. So, like, when you start thinking about life that way, you start realizing, like, wow, I have more than enough reasons to be miserable in this life. And lots of people have chosen to embrace that misery and be grumpy, cranky, angry. And listen, it's not unjustified. But again, God gives us a more excellent way. There's a better way. There's a way that when we place God at the center because of Jesus Christ, yes, we acknowledge that life can be unfulfilling. We acknowledge that things don't work out. We acknowledge that we've attained to these things and they don't satisfy us. And we say, look, I was wrong in trying to find my satisfaction here. We can agree with that great English theologian, Mick Jagger, when we say, I can't get no satisfaction. Because under the sun, apart from Jesus, we can't. Nothing satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. No amount of accumulation of wealth, no amount of pleasure, no amount of entertainment, no amount of whatever your thing is will get you the deepest longings of your soul. But what's amazing is that when we come to Jesus, when we get to know who God is through the finished work of Jesus, now you know what happens to those things that we try to get fulfillment from? We begin to truly enjoy them. Because God has given us much to enjoy. But when we try and take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, it ends up becoming a bad thing. To cycle back to my music, I enjoy music way more now than when I was trying to build my identity on it. Because back in the day, before I knew Jesus, if I played the wrong note or if I didn't think I had a good gig, I was miserable. Now I just hit all the wrong notes for fun. <laughs> and when Pastor Jason Ritchie gives me the eye of Sauron for hitting the wrong note, you, you, got, you guys know Lord of the Rings, the, the constricted pupil? I just smile. I'm like, Jesus died for that note. <laughs> and then I play it again. Because <laughs> that's the old music rule. You hit the wrong, if you play the wrong note, play it again. Everyone will think you meant it. See, God does not want you to not have enjoyment in life. He just wants you to stop trying to fulfill yourself with things that don't fulfill. Because only he fulfills. And then once he fulfills you, then the, your experience with all these things that you enjoy changes because now you're freed from that thing trying to fulfill you to being a part of life that God has given you to enjoy. So I have four keys to a better life for you. And don't miss, I'm using the word better life because you're going to see this, this word better keeps popping up over and over and over again. So look at what it says in Ecclesiastes now chapter 7 verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, 
For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So first key to a better life, seek what is better. We have to seek what is better. Now, think about this. Because life is unfulfilling, you actually have to say, I am going to make a decision of the will. I'm going to be intentional about seeking something better. Now, notice how it begins. A good name is better than precious ointment. Or some of your translations have good perfume. Now, think about this. When you seek what is better, a good name. Now, when you say a good name, like I think I've named my kids good names, like Obadiah, Maranatha. Those are good names, even though no one can pronounce them. A good name is not the letters in your name. In the Bible, when it says God's name, it means the totality of his nature. So when you think of someone's name, you often don't think of the letters in their name, you think of who they are, right? So when it says that a good name is better than good perfume or precious ointment, it's saying when we seek what is better, we seek character, integrity. I always say that reputation is what people think you are and character is who God knows that you are. And you and I need to seek a good name, a name. When people think of you, they should think of good things, character, integrity. I've said it before, and I believe I opened up with the message last week, that character is built one day at a time. Character is not something that just shows up one day, but a bunch of little decisions along the way. Now you have character. Think about how you view people. It's something that builds over time. That with repeated interactions, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, okay, so when I think of this person, this is what I think of. And our character is better than just a cover over. Because that's what perfume is, isn't it? Perfume is a cover over. You're saying my natural fragrance is maybe unbecoming, So I am going to cover that over with what I believe to be a more suitable or nice fragrance. Brothers and sisters, we live in a culture that's all about covering up. It's all about it. Everything in our culture is trying to cover up something. That's the problem with our, and I'm blessed to be here. But when you look at everything, everything is trying to band-aid something rather than getting to the root cause. Like, I mean, just every single commercial, I've used this as an example before, every single commercial is an attempt to show you what's lacking in your life and how to cover it up. I'm here to tell you, your desire for adventure is never going to be fulfilled by buying a 4x4. No matter what they show you on the commercial, you ladies, your desire to be more beautiful is actually never going to get fixed by globbing this stuff on your face that cakes up in a couple hours. Because true beauty is not just external. And everybody knows that. Jesus is real. 
life is unsatisfying. As we heard today, wealth, honor, long life, they're not keys to fulfillment in life. Our culture is proof that a lot of things don't satisfy. Our souls can only be fed by Jesus. God wants us to have fulfillment in life, but we have to give up on seeking empty things. As Pastor Daniel said, we can't cover up our dissatisfaction with material goods or external beauty. We have to address the inside. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll hear how moving from one superficial joy to the next to the next is buying into a lack of depth. We can't surround ourselves with only people who are going to confirm who we are, but learn from the wise and ask the right questions. There are pitfalls we can fall into, like oppressing someone or being prideful, which destroys the growth we experience in the Lord. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.